I really think that it's important for us to develop our own discernment. The only thing that exists for you is your unique experience. And we're taught to like devalue that mm. and to and to not trust it and to think it's flaky in some way. But like literally what other connection to reality do you have besides your own lived experience? The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak, they talk to you, they will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. Today's guest is Kelly Chase. Kelly is the creator and host of the UFO Rabbit Hole podcast and author of The UFO Rabbit Hole, Book One, A Rational Science-Based Introduction to an Irrational Reality. Out of a boundaryless spectrum of life experience and visionary exploration, Kelly curates tasteful inquiry into a range of endlessly intriguing topics. We recommend also checking out her blog at uforabbithole.com. In this meeting of the minds, Eric and Kelly cover a lot of ground. I think you'll appreciate her subtle wisdom. Her journey is really cultivated in her something beautiful. And I think many of us will find her insight directly beneficial. You are listening to Psilocybin Says. To support it, subscribe on YouTube and podcasts and stay connected on Instagram and TikTok. And now please welcome Kelly Chase. Oh, hello. Welcome to Psilocybin Says. Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. I have admittedly been having a very rare uh, fanboy kind of day. I'm just like, oh, my God. People tell me often, they're like, oh, you know, I listened to your podcast and now I'm on it. It feels so weird. Or I'm meeting you. And I get that. I get that. I have been listening to you since your show came out. I just stumbled upon it and I was an immediate and huge fan. So really excited to have you here. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. That's always so gratifying to hear. And I'm looking forward to getting to know you better. Well, I'll see if I can uh, keep it up to your level of conversation. You have such a well-crafted show. Uh, it is so, so beautifully produced and it's just really impressive. I, you know, I did hear the one episode you did with uh, Ryan, somebody, another podcaster or another. Ryan Sprague, yeah, from Sprague, Somewhere yeah. in the Skies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a little more informal now. So it's like, okay, she can speak a little informally too because I am super off the cuff. <laughs> All right. So Absolutely. Let's, let's, before, before we get into my, the topic that I'm really excited about uh, diving a little deeper into, uh, which isn't specifically psychedelics. I would love for you to help gain some credibility with our audience. Why in the world would Eric be having a UFO podcast host on our show? Uh, it's not just about UFOs. You yourself have said that you have some experience with psychedelics and that they had a transformative effect on your life. Would you kind of share some of that with our audience to start with? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I think that there's just a lot um, in common between psychedelics and sort of the worlds that you dive into when you start talking about UFOs and consciousness and non-human intelligences. So I think intellectually, this topic really appeals to me. But also, I have a lot of experience with psychedelics. Um, Back in 2016, I was uh, phenomenally depressed. Like, I really was not so sure how much longer I was going to keep sticking around. And... um, 
I had this really deep sense that what I needed to do (laughs) was sell everything I owned and just take off. And I ended up doing that. And synchronistically, I found a friend to do that with. And we ended up, um, I've been working remotely since 2010, like way before anybody else was doing it. And so I had the ability to just kind of take off and do whatever I wanted. And so we did that. And we ended up doing a different country every month um, for a couple of years and then eventually settling in Amsterdam. And uh, very early on in that journey, before we took off, we ended up getting our hands on. Somebody said, um, it was actually LSD. They said, we have some of the best LSD anyone's seen since the 90s. And we were like, give us like $1,000 worth. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take it all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, how much do you have? And we took that and a bunch of mushrooms and we took off and we, we went all around the world. We did a different, like I said, we did a different country every month. We did psychedelics in each one of those countries and with people that we met there. And, um, I really feel like both the process of traveling and the process of kind of continually doing psychedelics saved my life. I turned into an entirely different person. Um, I lost like a hundred pounds. <laughs> like I had a, like, it was a true, it was a true transformation and, and it, it saved my life. It helped me find the thread of who I am again. Um, it helped me reconnect to what's magical and interesting and special and important about being alive. And uh, yeah, so I really have nothing but wonderful things to say about psychedelics. I don't do them quite as often now as I used to. I think I go through, I feel like I go through seasons where um, psychedelics are really good for kind of shaking you up in the same way that traveling is really good at shaking you up. It, It puts you in an entirely different context and sort of allows you to see your life from the outside Um, while also sort of navigating your internal landscape in a way that maybe you weren't able to before. And uh, yeah, so sometimes, sometimes I'm, I'm in more of a kind of nose to the grindstone period of my life right now. So there's like less psychedelics going on, but um, I think it's always sort of comes in waves where sometimes you need to shake things up. And then once you shake it up, then you need to integrate. And so I feel like, I think I'm more in sort of an integration and implementation phase, but I'm sure the psychedelic phase will come again when I need it. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Was there a particular experience that had, you know, such an impact or was it kind of a cumulative effect of that whole adventure? It was really the whole thing together. It would be hard to break anything out. There was one, there was one trip when we were in um, Medellin, Colombia, and we had this, we were in one of the tallest buildings in the, in the city and we were on in a penthouse on the very top floor. The American dollar goes a very long way in Colombia. So <laughs> <laughs> we were able to live a little bougier in Colombia. Um, and we had a trip that night, uh, me and my friend that I was traveling with, and uh, it changed me. I actually still over here on my wall, I have a large photo that I took the next morning because we had these floor to ceiling windows looking out over Medellin and we had all these colorful post-its because that was how we always did our planning. And we took these post-its and we just covered the windows with just thoughts and ideas and inspiration. And we've kind of plotted out our whole lives. And there, it was, it was the first time I think ever that I really believed that I could be what I wanted to be, that I could, that I could self-navigate and that the things that drive me and excite me could be the things that I navigate towards and that those things 
in some ways were drawing me to them. And I had never seen myself or the world in that way before. And so it's in in a lot of ways that ends up being the most important trip because it was kind of the first time that I sort of got that main character energy about myself. And if I hadn't had that moment and that experience, all the work that I'm doing now would not be possible. Like the person that I was before then couldn't do what I'm doing now. Like I couldn't get there from here. So mm-hmm. I think that was probably the big one. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot. I want to put a pin in some of that, particularly this notion of following your highest excitement. I think there's a, a thread there uh, within the UFO uh, gosh, experience that has uh, um, continues to inspire me as well. So in terms of, you know, the mushrooms, did you have, you know, did you have any kind of uh, uh, perceived relationship with mushrooms at all in particular or, you know, where it's just psychedelics, psychedelics, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm always curious how we kind of distinguish, not necessarily a favorite per se, but, but applicability between these different substances you know for me lsd has a very different application than psilocybin and so on and so on absolutely so lsd for me is much more cerebral mm-hmm. like i i think really expansive thoughts and um for me acid is less about the visuals and less about maybe necessarily the physical experience of it. And if anything, sometimes I feel like that gets in the way of what I like most about LSD, which is kind of how it it opens up my mind. But mushrooms are something different. Like mushrooms are grittier and earthier. And, and with acid, I kind of know where this trip is going. Mushrooms take me where we're going to go. Like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, like right. I, before, before LSD, I can like set intentions and be like, this is the thing I'm going to think about. And the, the thing I'm going to work on in myself. And with mushrooms, it's like, I, it doesn't matter <laughs> if, if, if what, if there's something else that I need to address, uh, the mushrooms will take me to to that, and it's and I process it much less. It's a it's much less cerebral experience. It's much more emotional. It's in my body. Um, it's in a by relationship to the land and to the earth, um, and so they're very different. And I, I agree with you. I think there's like very different applications. So, do you have any? Do you have a spiritual framework that you operate from? Uh, and if so, does psilocybin have any relationship to it? I do. It's a very personal and idiosyncratic framework. I, you know, it really comes back to what you said before about kind of following your highest excitement. I think that what I've realized kind of starting back then and up through now over these last several years is that like, I am a storyteller. That's what I am. And so I have sort of, um, sunk down into this kind of spiritual practice that utilizes storytelling. In some ways, each one of my podcasts could almost be considered like a, a ritual or a working, you know, like I, I, everything about how I meditate, how I practice my spirituality, how I pray, um, how I relate to my higher power is kind of within this story framework because I feel like that's just in me and it's what I understand. Mm-hmm. And I also have this sense that there's this narrative structure to reality itself mm-hmm. and that the more I kind of lean into that, the more I, uh, 
the more kind of powerful I become, not in like a warlock, which kind of a way, you know, you know what I, but I, I, I come into my own power and I'm yeah. able to bend reality in ways that wouldn't have felt possible to me before. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, it's very, it's very personal, very idiosyncratic, but that's sort mm-hmm. of where it goes for me. Yeah, and, and have mushrooms had any role to play in that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that um, the ability, like I said, to to see myself as a main character, number one, but also, like I said, LSD is very cerebral, but if I want, mushrooms have helped me process trauma. And going back and something that's like actually very alive for me right now is that I'm still processing through, you know, unresolved trauma and that it's in that trauma creates these like distortions in my reality and in my perception and in my relationships that wouldn't otherwise be there it holds me back from being my best self and from operating from like my purest and most authentic place and so for me mushrooms have been a way for me to kind of like dive into that and take a proactive role in in healing that trauma. Like I really feel like there was one trip in particular while I was traveling where I processed my parents' divorce and I had never, I, I didn't even realize that was still banging around in there, you know, but, I, but it was. And, uh, and, and so I think mushrooms really kind of helped me do that. It's an, it's an on, I mean, it's never really done. The work of tra- healing trauma is never truly done, but, mm-hmm. but it, it helps me make progress and move forward. Yeah, beautiful. You know, I, I, I'm assuming that you know very little about my work. I, I've I opened the first psilocybin retreat center in Jamaica, and and you know, I've administered psilocybin to at least 1,500 people who were just deep, deep trauma, and and myself, lots of recovery from trauma through psychedelics, and particularly psilocybin. And it's it's incredible the the intelligence that seems to be behind the mushroom to me. And that, that's how I experience it as there, it seems to know, or it seems to activate an aspect of ourselves, this, the subconscious or the unconscious that knows what we need. Um, and it's just, it's just such an incredibly powerful tool for, for recovering from trauma and, you know, uh, alleviating symptoms of mental illness. But as the years have gone on and my very, rational science-based mind i've come up against so many inexplicable phenomena within within that time frame of the mushroom right and working with strangers and you know i very often consume mushrooms alongside those that i'm working with and i'm collecting information and and while engaging in the experience and it's it's really just opened up to me a a a deeper experiential understanding of the mushroom as an intelligence of its own or something that was directed by an intelligence. And, you know, your, your last episode was like, there couldn't have been a better episode uh, to kind of grease my wheels for our conversation. Uh, the, the Plato's closet or Plato's uh, Plato's closet. That's a, <laughs> it's a store here locally. I don't know. Uh, the Plato's cave um, is, is really an incredible allegory for of course the UFO phenomenon, but the psychedelic experience as well. Right. Because it's like you're woken up to these new realities and you're trying to come, Hey, everybody look at this, this reality that's over here. And, 
And most people have no context for it, have no ability to even begin to understand what it is that you're trying to describe. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you about the intelligence behind it. I I feel that. Like I said, I feel directed by it. And Mm -hmm. also, you know how I said I'm in this sort of like integration and implementation period. Over the last year, I've tried to do mushrooms three different times from three different sources. They were Mm -hmm. all duds. Mm -hmm. I've never gotten dud mushrooms Mm -hmm. before, but I feel like Mm -hmm. the mushrooms are telling me like, girl, not right now. This is I've seen this. Yep. (laughs) I've seen it so many times. The last time I I didn't eat mushrooms for almost two years here. After we got back from Jamaica, I had just been eating mushrooms like crazy with people I was working with. And um, so I took a significant break. And then this recently, um, God, it was so crazy. And I was like, all right, mushrooms are calling. I get the mushrooms out. I'm here by myself alone. My family leaves. We had a power outage. And I just like the mushrooms jumped in my mouth. I like, I, I, <laughs> I, I ate one and never in my life has it been like this, but just like, and I was like, holy shit. I didn't, I did not do that. <laughs> I did not. And then that trip unfolded into the most, I, you know, like I, I would love to be able to put it into words because it absolutely relates to, um, you know, this topic of UFOs. I'm not going to be able to, but there was this, um, God, there was this intelligence that came and showed itself to me, um, you know, from long before the earth was here. And that few days after that experience, these very weird synchronicities that people would come to me and speak to me basically about this experience that I had, even though they had, they were not a part of it. They, you know, and they, I was, I was gifted something that was like, it was like I was gifted something as a crystal skull. Like the, one of the last things that I would, I don't, I'm not into the crystal thing, you know, and I'm not into, I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty, you know, not real woo woo, uh, even though psychedelics and aliens are my favorite thing, but I don't, I don't, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and so it, it just kind of rattles me at times, which was, you know, I, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear, first and foremost, if you have encountered any non-human intelligences within the psychedelic space, and what is your interpretation of that? First, can we go there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I will say, I definitely consider myself to be an experiencer. But even in that realm, I don't feel that I've encountered like a being necessarily. Okay. Okay. Um, The closest I have come, I would say, is on mushrooms. And usually, number one is that when I'm on mushrooms, I get the very real sense that everything is alive. Mm. You know, it's not just that like weird kind of crawling visual that you get where everything sort of seems to be animated, but like in a deep sense. I feel that everything is alive. And when I'm on mushrooms, the only thing I want to do is hang out with trees. The only mm. thing I want to do <laughs> is hang out with trees. <laughs> like, like, and when I'm on mushrooms, I will just fall in love with like a particular tree mm-hmm. and just hang out with that tree and vibe. And mm-hmm. I feel like I have gotten really deep communication from trees. I'm really interested in trees. I think that there's more to trees than we think. Oh, yes. Um, like their their root systems are very complex. The way they 
the way they communicate with each other and they do communicate with each other is very complex. And we're only just starting to scratch the surface in our understanding of things. Trees are actually very similar to mushrooms and that they can create these like huge networks of kind of mm-hmm. interrelated uh, beings that are all kind of, you know, and, and, and they don't just kind of exist all together as a whole, but then they create this, like mm-hmm. this environment in which things can live. Like, I think that trees are, are magical in many ways. And so I think that through mushrooms, I have really connected with, um, with the earth as a consciousness as a whole, and also with, the landscape as a consciousness, you know, I think you get this kind of fractal thing where you understand it's an intelligence in the macro sense and then each little, and and then in the micro sense also, and you see yourself as a, as a part of that. Um, And yeah, the trees, man, there's something about the trees. It's so hard to put into words. Yeah. Yeah. They, there is an intelligence there. There's personality, there's communication. I, I, I have many trees who are considered good friends. And, and even within uh, working within the mushroom space, you know, and, and offloading energy, uh, trees are incredibly powerful uh, allies. And there have been so many times that after an intense uh, session of working with people, and I've just, you know, accumulated all of this kind of energy to go into a tree and I, I stay barefoot and I just like, I can just feel them. Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely something there. There's this tree in Jamaica, the lignum vitae tree, which is, um, this, there are these ancient, ancient species of, um, of coastal tree that survive in desert conditions and their their roots their tap roots like i would pick little seedlings and you know you'd be at two inches above the ground and there'd be a an eight inch tap root and so these you know trees that are hundreds of years old that you can climb up in and you can feel that rootedness you can feel that groundedness and as they just grip on through the breeze it's it's such, such a powerful experience if we can uh, really engaged with it on that level. So never, never met an alien on mushrooms, eh? No, I, and I have this strange, I have this strange feeling about that because I, you know, I'm so deep into this work, right? And I, and I'm friends with, and, and I've become very good friends with a lot of very sort of profound experiencers, like people who are kind of dealing with encounters with non-human intelligence on on a pretty regular basis. And a lot of times these people are not who your typical person would expect. You know, these are uh, department heads at universities. These are people in positions at, you know, big tech companies in Silicon Valley. Like I've, and I've, I've become friends with these people and and, and I, I take their experiences very seriously. And what's interesting is that a lot of these people have come to me because they've heard me talking about something or about an experience that I've had. And it like triggers with them. And they're like, ah, like people, people who are abductees come to me and are like, are you sure you're not an abductee? And I'm like, I, I've got nothing. Like I, I can't, I can't honestly uh, say that. I don't, I don't feel, I, I don't feel that, but they recognize it in me. And I, I have this weird sense that I'm not supposed to have that experience Hmm. that like that I'm supposed to kind of have everything up to that and then stop. And I know that's a weird thing to say or to think, but I, in the same way that I feel like I'm not supposed to be doing mushrooms right now, I feel like now is not the time. Cause when you think about the work that I'm doing, 
Like if I, I'm able to approach things from such sort of like an intellectual and structured and science-based way because I'm coming, I'm really, throughout the podcast, I've been really authentically laying out my own experience. And I have evolved tremendously in terms of what I believe um, in the time that I've been, just the short time I've been doing the podcast but I think that that work would have been impossible if I'd had like some really destabilizing event where I felt like I really had encountered, like truly encountered a non-human intelligence. Because I think the work that I'm supposed to be doing right now is bridging that gap and helping people who don't have an understanding of what this is kind of cross that bridge. And if you go all the way over the bridge, it's really hard to go back. And I think that I'm supposed to, I feel like I'm supposed to be this sort of like master of two worlds, like in the middle kind of place. And that that sort of an encounter, I think would be disruptive for me at this point. That's That makes a lot of sense. I can get that. Uh, I myself feel like I'm being drug across that bridge. Uh, <laughs> Most <laughs> I, people do. <laughs> I've tried to resist it. I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was your work that introduced me to Chris Bledsoe and his his book. I don't I know you didn't I don't do think so. I talked about him, him on Twitter, but I haven't. I haven't talked about him on that's, the podcast. That's where it was. No, that's where it was. I saw you. I think I saw on Twitter uh, you're posting about his book, and I went and bought it, and immediately read it, and it correlates so much with experiences that I've had, uh, particularly this um, this mother figure uh, that mm. that's been, that has been a, an ongoing and increasingly prevalent aspect of of my, my encounters over the years. And I'm, you know, his story has really, it really, it gave me more of a solid ground because my experience and understanding of this has been from a spiritual perspective. I'm certainly open to, you know, uh, the reality of, you know, actual physical beings from other star systems or from other planets, whatever it is. Um, but even still, it has a profoundly spiritual impact on me, just like my mushroom experiences do, you know, and that's, that's really what I appreciate the most about your show is that you're, you're discussing kind of in large part, what, what these phenomena do to us collectively as, as human experiencers and our understanding of the world. So you said that you're, uh, kind of beliefs or perspective on on this phenomena have evolved considerably in and over the year or so a few months that you've been doing this podcast can you can you talk about that a little bit yeah absolutely so <clears throat> I don't talk about this on every podcast and people ask me but I will talk about it here okay. um, <laughs> this feels like safe space um, <laughs> so uh so it was only just about two years ago that I actually even started considering that UFOs might be a thing. And um, I was going on vacation with my family to the Outer Banks, which is a place where I saw my first UFO when I was a kid. And I kind of heard all these stories in the background. I'm really not good at staying still or not being busy. And so I had this week at the beach and I was like, I am going to get to the bottom of this UFO thing <laughs> in a week. Obviously, I did not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little bit of and the rabbit hole began. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what I did convince myself of in that week is that there is a there there, as we say in the community, and and I realized that this was so much bigger and so much more complex than I could even imagine. But I didn't even know where to start, and so I was just reading everything. I was reading trash. I was reading great. I was reading valet, like and everything in between, because it all was the same to me. I didn't know the difference at that point. Mm. 
And I was just trying to find my way and trying to figure out what was going on. Um, I'm very like ADHD and no one does hyper-focus more than I do. Like when I get obsessed with something, I, I get obsessed. And so I was just like, this was 24 seven, what I'd thrown myself into. And um, a few months into that, I was sitting in my bedroom early one Saturday morning. And I was kind of like surrounded by UFO books and notebooks and highlighters and ready to have like a manic day of obsessing over this. And, um, and something happened, which I've described to people as the most intense psychedelic experience of my life. Cause it's the only thing that comes even close, but it wasn't that it was, it was, and I was, you know, sober. Um, it, it lasted maybe about a minute to two minutes, but in that two minutes, I, I had what uh, John Keel, a famous UFO researcher, um, he wrote about, I finally found a description of something that matched it. He had a list of different kinds of experiences that he associated with UFOs that weren't necessarily like the traditional abduction experience. And one of them is um, cosmic illumination. And basically people kind of see the history of the universe. They see their whole lives. They become very aware of God and the nature of the universe. And you see everything and you know everything for like a minute. And then it goes away and people can't remember what happened to them. And I couldn't really, there are pieces that I can remember, but it's, it's so annoying to know everything for one minute mm-hmm. and then to forget. Mm-hmm. Um, but it changes people. Like I was a strict atheist and a materialist before that. Um, and I became very aware that there, that there is a God and that I am loved and that I have always been loved and that like this, path that I've been on is checkered and crazy it has seemed, as it has seemed to me was bringing me specifically to this point and that all of this was meant to happen. And that from here, the thing that I was supposed to do is start this podcast. And um, so I, I had that experience and it took me a while to really integrate it, but it did change me. And I feel like it's still changing me. It's a lot to take in all at once. So like when I started, I was in this very, like, I'm going to read about this. I'm going to figure it out. It's probably like China. That was my guess, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I've, and I've just progressed and progressed. And then I was like, okay, like I'm willing to admit that there might be something more to this, maybe like an interdimensional angle, you know, but I'm not going to consider like ultra terrestrials or like, you know, I'm not going to consider Bigfoot. I'm not going to consider Atlantis. I'm not going to, you know what I mean? And it's just like, and I keep moving that goalpost of like what I, and like, I can't even see the goalpost anymore. It's like yeah. off in the distance somewhere. And like, and I, I heard you talking about mermaids or something on Twitter. I think I saw yes. you talking about merfolk. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to do an episode on mermaids. I swear. Cause I, Great. I actually think there's a lot there. So it's, it's really over time. It's, it's just, transformed me and changed me and how I see the world. And to certain people, it may look as though I'm losing my marbles, but you know, and sometimes I consider that sometimes I really consider that I'm losing it, but, um, I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. I'm, I'm a kinder person. I'm a more compassionate person. I have hope both for myself and for the planet. And I like, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good with this path (laughs) wherever it takes me. It's amazing to me how much hope this has given me in this troubled world it, yeah. it you know particularly you know going to the uh, documented experiences over nuclear facilities and you know the disarming of warheads and all that stuff you know it's incredible uh, and it, it certainly suggests to me that there are watchers and keepers who are um, 
you know, perhaps there to prevent us from going out of bounds. But what you said about this, uh, you know, p- people may think I'm losing my mind is another, you know, crossover that the world of psychedelia and uh, um, EBs or how, you know, I don't know how to call them now, ETs or whatever, this, this otherworldly phenomena I have in common is that, you know, I was I was taking mushrooms avidly, and I was a public advocate for mushrooms. I had a mushroom farm in 2009, like gourmet mushrooms, and I was doing talks around the uh, the region, you know, for, and whatnot. And and then I was advocating for psychedelics, and you know, people were just like, "You're crazy," you know. You start mentioning it, and their eyes get big, and like, "Oh my God, here we go," you know. But now here we are, you know, twenty something years later, almost, and science is validating what we have known, at least from this kind of basic phenomenological level of, you know, treating depression and anxiety and PTSD and all that, I have feel, I feel very confident that uh, the field of psychedelics will evolve in or will become more enmeshed into this study of uh, non-human intelligences or, um, you know, quantum um, um, kind of mechanics. And uh, so, you know, the things, the, the stigma that that was around psychedelics for years and still to a large extent is I feel like the UFO phenomena is just kind of starting to enter that softening stage where people are saying, okay, there is something legitimate here. And I kind of feel like at least my, my role right now or a responsibility that I have is to kind of bridge that gap because these are two, you know, fields of study that for many, um, you know, are maybe not even respectable, but as we have, you know, psychedelics that are becoming more approachable than that serves, I would believe as a bridge to this other is even Rick Strassman and their extended state DMT research. A part of that has been to try and understand these entities that are encountered by different individuals uh, in different locations over different periods of time. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. And I think both the UFO topic, whether it's just exploring the topic or having an encounter yourself and psychedelics, they are both modalities to kind of open these doors up for people, for them to start to see things in a different way. And the reason I have so much hope from both of those experiences is that, uh, and, and seeing how they impact other people is like the impact it's had on me, the impact I've seen that it has on other people, it in and of itself kind of is a technology like mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in so far as it's a tool that that does a very particular job. And that job is sort of like waking people up and helping them heal and helping them recognize their connection to the planet and to each other. And, um, and the fact that things like that exist and that there's people, you know, like you out there who are, you know, helping people to get access to that. That's the goal of my podcast is not necessarily to make people believe in UFOs. From the very beginning, my goal has been to kind of in some way trigger for them that experience that I had on my bed that day. And and I think that we can do that. And the and that we're, you know, even through having conversations like this publicly, we're able to do that. And I think that is really, really, really exciting because you don't need really money to do that. You don't need anything really, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I'm really excited about the possibilities. And I don't think that there is, I think there's a lot more reason to be hopeful than maybe people recognize. Completely agree. Completely agree. And, you know, I would also say for those who are, are listening and have 
you know, some experience with psychedelics, but have never maybe had any kind of encounters like Kelly and I are talking about. You know, for for my money, after even after years and years of intense psychedelic work, there there was nothing that shifted my perspective like my there were I've, I've had two very distinct encounters but the, the first one it just it just it rattled everything in me and it you know it it took it took some time it took a few months probably for me to uh come to any kind of peace with it i was significantly disturbed because i was very i was very accustomed to having uh kind of encounters internally but then to have something external that was shared with someone else that communicated to me before I witnessed it. Uh, it, it, it just took everything that I knew and turned it on its head. But eventually that, you know, the, the fear, the concern, like, holy shit, something is in my head. Like something got in my head and then made itself physically known to me, you know, was very rattling at first, but then it became almost like comforting knowing that there was, there was a higher intelligence, you know, yeah, I had this perspective of God, but there was an individual, there was a being or some, it was a light or whatever it actually, you know, was cared enough to get my attention. And so much of what I'm doing now is an outcome of that. Uh, So it's, I want. I wonder. I don't know if in much of the conversations around UFOs, do I hear reverence, and maybe we're just not there yet. Um, but as I continue to explore and experience this, that's kind of the sense that I get very similarly with psilocybin is this, this deep reverence for all life is interconnected. Just like you're saying, all the stuff that we know, the interconnectivity, the sentience, you know, this, that consciousness permeates all being and this, you know, disshelving this egoic sense that we are the source of consciousness seems to be one of the outcomes of this phenomena. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, and it begins to, in so many ways, I feel like UFOs are the least interesting thing about studying UFOs. Um, You know, like I, I, because I feel like they're, UFOs are sort of an an entry point. They're a portal Mm -hmm. into these sort of ideas. And I find that like, I'm interested and I keep up with thing, you know, like I would, like, I'm not that interested in the tech. Like I'm not that interested. in if we have it in a garage somewhere in the desert <laughs> underground, you know, like right. I, I mean, I, I think that's cool. And of course it's cool. Like that would be very cool. And I, and I want that kind of stuff if it's true to come out, because I think that through the technology, like people have a much easier time understanding a technological craft that has come here from somewhere else Mm -hmm. and that that becomes a way that they can start to understand this stuff. Mm -hmm. But once you go far enough down the rabbit hole, 
you know, that tree that I talked to on mushrooms is every bit kind of an alien life form to me as much as anything else that might come out of a UFO. And that this, and I kind of don't care about disclosure other than that. I want it to happen so that more people can like get on this vibe. But I, Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, because I think that all of this stuff, it's not something that the government has uh, the market cornered on. They don't own this. Mm-hmm. Anyone can approach this. Anyone can experience this and get to know it on a deeper level. And you don't have to go anywhere special and you don't have to do anything special. Like it's an internal journey more than anything else. And I think, yeah. So I, I guess I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, but I think that's that's why I say like UFOs end up being the least at the end of the day, it's being sort of the least interesting thing about UFOs. No, I, I get that. I get that. I mean, it's kind of like how I've been talking about mushrooms lately is that I I see mushrooms um, as a way to – how do I want to say it? Um, they, are, they, are a, they are something to be studied, but they are also – an aid to our study of reality, right? They are an aspect of reality to be studied, but in studying them, we bridge a deeper perspective, broader perspective on the nature of reality itself, which if, if we do begin to accept and conceptualize, uh, you know, the abilities to, um, you know, instantaneously appear and disappear or bilocate and all that kind of stuff. And that, that's something that we can use to explore, yeah, this weird thing that we find ourselves in that we yeah. call reality. We act like it's not weird, but it's fucking weird. Exactly. And I think I'm increasingly aware that every single thing about our modern life is designed to cut us off from that, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. from that experience. Because this is an experience and an, and an awareness and a way of being that has been immediately available to all of us from the mm-hmm. second we were born. And yet so many of us end up stumbling upon it later in life through weird synchronicities or psychedelics or, you know, getting interested in UFOs or something, but it's always been there. But everything about our world kind of keeps us closed off from sort of the fundamental modalities of that contact with something beyond just ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something that I'm, I, you know, I think that work like, you know, what I'm doing and what you're doing, like, I feel like it's ultimately very punk rock. It's sort of like the most sort of (laughs) anti-establishment thing you can do is encourage people to stop consuming stories and stop being manipulated by stories and to start living their own story. Oh, I could not (laughs) agree more, particularly this, like this ridiculous political environment that we have crafted. Like it's like we are living in the most ridiculous story. And as soon as we see that we are being just fed this fucking BS story, then we can break out of it and start telling our own, which I would, think is a nice way for us to get back to this idea of following our highest excitement and really why that is such a a, a powerful uh, message for me, aside from it being what I have naturally done throughout my life and why I currently live this crazy, amazing, weird life that I do. But it is the primary message that comes out of the teachings of Bashar. And those who have been listening to me for a while have heard me talk a little bit about Bashar. I'm curious, do you know anything about this Bashar? All right. I do not. 
I mean, I, write I, that down. <laughs> you're, you're, I think you're going to want to check it out. I So I'm going to just give you a little brief hit rundown of it. My wife, when we first met, um, she, first of all, she was like, oh, yeah, I hear the moon's fake. I'm like, I don't want to hear that shit. The moon's not fake. (laughs) And then your pot, your episode about all these anomalies, I was like, damn it, Courtney. She's like, I told you there's something to it. Anyway, uh, at the same time, she's like, you got to listen to this guy, Bashar. And she played me this meditation. It was the most ridiculous. It's like, I don't want to fucking ever hear this again. This guy is nut job. I don't, I'm not listening to it. Well, you know, a few months ago, this was like 10 years ago. And I've had all these weird experiences since then. A few months ago, something clicked in my head. I was like, go listen to Bashar. I'm like, well, I don't, I, don't, I can't listen to this. Well, Bashar is supposedly, uh, a, a gentleman named Daryl Anka is channeling this alien named Bashar. And I, I like the channeling thing has always been the complete hell no. I don't believe it. I'm not buying it. But I listened to this. And not only does Bashar, this being that is that is communicating, not only is he communicating an incredible wealth of knowledge around the physical world, the quantum world, he was speaking stuff and he, he's been speaking for 30 something years and he was saying stuff, you know, 10, 20 years ago that was way ahead of his time. But he has also just, he's helping me integrate some of the most profound trips that I've had. You know, he's telling stories of these civilizations and whatnot and these histories that are, that are the only other source of information aside from uh, the direct experiences that I've had with the mushrooms that, that tell this same story. And so I was just, I, I have heard very few, if anyone in the UFO community talk about him in particular, but he talks a lot about, um, you know, open contact and how that's evolving and how he is supposed to be this first contact specialist that, you know, begins to communicate with other societies. And I am a fact checker. I'm a cross-referencer. Like, I, I'm, I'm always listening for the holes and I cannot find them in his work. And so I just like, I, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on this kind of phenomenon? Like, it, it it's baffling to me. It is. It's, it's challenging and there's a reason it's controversial because it's hard for people to kind of swallow it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had multiple experiences where people have channeled beings kind of in my presence over the mm-hmm. last, weirdly when you have a UFO podcast, people are like, Hey, there's some <laughs> beings who want to talk to you and I'm about to channel them right now. And like, they just like do it. Uh-huh. And there have been times that I've felt that that was a little put on, but there have been times that I've felt that that was a really authentic experience. And mm-hmm. You know, the thing that I try, I'm actually writing an episode about this right now, but something that I think is really important for people to understand about these kind of anomalous experiences is that we get really caught up in, is this person lying or is mm-hmm. like, is this a hoax or are they like crazy or like what's going on here? And the, the truth is, is that we have no access whatsoever to someone else's subjective experience like that is a black box to us and it probably and it just it just is there's nothing we can do about that so you're ultimately kind of asking anybody who gets stuck there and like you're you're asking the wrong questions right mm-hmm. and i think that we have to consider you know like the last episode i did where we you know it was talking about the holographic nature mm-hmm. of the universe mm-hmm. and you know there's a lot of implications for that um 
And and one of them is just sort of this non-local aspect of consciousness and, you know, just of information in general. And so I'm really open-minded about channeling because I think that whether or not that person is, is tapping into a literal being that is speaking through them or whether this is something that's maybe a little more complicated than that, I do think that it's possible to access non-local information. It becomes unfalsifiable when you're talking about something like, you know, a civilization somewhere else or a civilization in the deep, deep past. Like, there's no way for us to confirm it. Mm -hmm. But I also, you know, I really think that it's important for us in those situations to develop our own discernment Mm -hmm. and to learn to feel into what, what feels true for us. And that in some ways objective truth becomes not just unimportant, but like sort of irrelevant and like not really the point because the only thing that exists for you is your unique experience. And we're taught to like devalue that Mm. and to, and to not trust it and to think it's flaky in some way, but like literally what other connection to reality do you have besides your own lived experience? And I think that like giving people the permission to develop their own discernment, to be the main character in their own story. And like, if that information resonates with you, if it feels true to you in your gut, and if it's like serving a utility for you, like you're, it's helping you process things. It's helping you understand things. And it's, and it's positive, right? Like it's, it's not like it's telling you to burn your house down. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? That I think that, I think that that stuff, I think we should give ourselves permission to explore those things and to not get so caught up in what the objective truth would be because we could never know. And I think that it's a trick that's been like, like we've been talking about the way that our modern culture and society and paradigms are set up are, are taught. We are taught to just completely devalue those sorts of experiences entirely. But for people like you and me who have explored that stuff, we're like, no, that's the good stuff. Like Mm -hmm. that's where you can actually begin to make progress. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting and I'll look it up. Well, and that, that devaluing of our personal experience is so much of what he speaks to and what I find that the message of my work and my life is as well unconsciously. And, and what he's, what he says is that reality has a, the basic way of, uh, uh, the basic function of reality is that you are inspired towards something. You're excited about something and you move towards that. You move towards it without expectation or without, um, you know, a, a desired outcome and you milk it for all that you can. And then you move on to the next most exciting thing. And that, there is a there is a path that's laid out before us and that if we will follow those steps which are you know signaled by our excitement then we can get out of that trap of uh, these false beliefs you know and that we we what so many of us end up doing you know building this kind of rat race life and uh, you know that's that's one of the main messages that psychedelics have had for me is to to follow your bliss, follow your passion. You are inspired from a higher source and to, to listen to that and to have reverence for that, engage with that. Uh, and so like, again, like these two kind of similar threads of, of, uh, kind of 
teasing me forward coming from both psychedelics and UFOs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I it brings two things to mind. One is just that people are always kind of asking me, and I get asked on podcasts all the time, like, you know, people are interested in this. Where should they start? And what I always say is just follow your curiosity. Follow what mm-hmm. sings to you because there's oh. a million paths into the, yes, I love it. There's a million paths into this. And mm-hmm. and the one that sings to you is your path. And so just follow follow that one. And it also, I just, I have an, an interview dropping tomorrow with a friend of mine, Mike Cleland. He's um, a UFO researcher. He's written some amazing books um, on experiencer stuff. One of them in particular, he's done a lot of research with owls and synchronicities and okay. UFOs. It's okay. great. It's great stuff. Okay. And um, I think you'd really dig it. But, you know, he was talking about how both he and another UFO researcher who he became really good friends with, uh, Mac Tonys, who unfortunately passed uh, you know, a little over 10 years ago. But um, they found out after they became friends that they had written this same essay in the same month. And he has it back to back in one of his books. They and wow. And the idea was... Uh, from Mike's perspective, he was talking about playing with his cat in a string. And from Mac's perspective, he was talking about playing with his cat with a laser pointer. But the essay was essentially the same thing, which is that like to the cat, this thing, this string, this laser pointer is real. It's alive. And it's like vitally important. But like, that's not really what it is. Like it's, I'm, I'm playing with it. I'm manipulating it. I'm making it look alive. Mm-hmm. But through that process, the cat, like a cat is never more a cat than when it's like chasing something. Mm -hmm. And so for a cat to achieve its ultimate catness, (laughs) you know, that, that it needs that string or it needs that laser pointer. And so in some ways, that's what I think the UFO phenomenon and other anomalous experiences, and perhaps even the intelligence that I also believe is behind psilocybin you know, maybe that's why I don't get too caught up on like, what is the objective ultimate truth of this? Because I, I can't understand that any more than the cat can, mm-hmm. but I can become my most Kelly self. Like I can achieve yes my ultimate kind of becoming in chasing that thing. And I think that's really important. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. Uh, I, I guess like I'm, I'm loving kind of where this goes in terms of our individual lives and the impact on our lives. And I guess, I I guess like, how do you see yourself? How have you seen yourself becoming a different person? I mean, when I, when I think of both the psychedelic experience and the UFO experience and knowing, or at least seeming that there is, no end to this rabbit hole, um, then I, like yourself, I, I end up kind of giving up that objectivism and find myself just enjoying the ride, just much more so enjoying the ride. Um, but also in certain ways, becoming more conscientious of, you know, um, the, the, well-being of the planet and my family and friends and even political stuff. I, I have been so apolitical for years and so much of this UFO phenomenology and uh, the disclosure that's slowly coming out and seeing that 
we have such a need for new storytellers that it almost piques my interest in wanting to get involved in politically. So I'm just curious, like aside from the podcast, how how is this impacting the the authentic Kelly? How is that? How is this helping you become? What are you becoming through all of this? Oh, I love that question. Um, so before, like Kelly, before I even after going through. I feel like doing that whole traveling thing and then living in Amsterdam and doing all those psychedelics, like it, it, it opened the door and it like the ice began to thaw, but there was still a lot of integration that I needed to do. I was still very wrapped up in my career, like obsessed with my career. And I was, um, a marketer and I was on the CMO track and I just felt like if I could just get to CMO and make like three fifty a year, that like, that would be that like there, I would be happy. Right. And um, but I was miserable. I was like a rage head. I was just constantly angry. I had all of these like resentments that I was holding inside of myself all the time. I couldn't, I really struggled with ever being alone, which is something that I really had to get through to get to the work that I'm doing now, because so much of this is just contemplative and reading and writing. And, and now I love to be by myself. And so that really, you know, that, that has changed immensely. But after I had my experience, uh, on my bed that day, I, number one, just, I think I'd really shut myself off to a lot of things. My dad died when I was 20. And before that, I was open to like a much wider worldview and there was room for kind of mysticism and magic. But my dad died in like a really horrible way. And like my little siblings were like very, very young. Like I was 20, but I had siblings that were like five, three and one when he died. And they're just, there was no meaning. It was the most meaningful thing that ever happened to me. And yet there was no mean, I couldn't find any meaning in it. And so I think that I, I just shut myself off entirely to anything of that nature because it just seemed ill-advised to have any kind of hope that there is meaning because I just felt like I had seen the void and there was nothing there. Mm -hmm. And after I had that experience, I number one realized that that was something that needed to happen for me to do this work now, because those are the people that I'm reaching out to um, and the people that most need help, honestly. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and it's, it's changed me. I walked away from my career entirely for a while. This was just something I was doing on the side um, I walked away. I'm never going back to marketing um, or to any kind of a corporate job. I can't imagine doing such a thing. I'm so much happier. I, I think a big thing that changed for me was like rec- when you begin to understand that you are more than your physical body, that suddenly the energies that you engage with and that you allow into yourself and that you cultivate within yourself become very important in a way that they weren't before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the past, like I did endeavor to be a good person, but I thought that in being a good person just meant like doing the right thing. But I realized that I, it's not okay to just do the right thing when you have like poison in your heart while you do it, you know? Um, and so I, I have had to rebuild myself kind of from the inside out to, to be somebody who, acts and thinks in, in the ways that, uh, I believe are right and good. And that's been insane. And there's been a lot of, you know, even getting into this podcast. It's so interesting because I've always had side hustles. I've always had podcasts. There was always, I've always been a writer and a storyteller. And I've always felt like there, like I was meant to like have my work out there and have it be recognized. And 
wildly, as soon as I put my ego down and just created something that was like an authentic expression of who I really am and that spoke to what was alive in me in that moment and followed what I was uh, like a higher calling for my work, overnight it became successful. <laughs> like in a way that nothing else I have ever done has become successful. And I... And, but even that becomes a challenge, right? Because it's very e- easy for your ego to wake back up and be like, oh, like, no you know? now I'm famous because I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. now I'm special, you know? And uh-huh. like, I, and, and to, so there's been just a constant dismantling of that. And I think that what I really see for myself moving forward is eventually kind of receding back into the background. I really want to, support the work of people who are working truly on the cutting edge of this and enable them to share their work more directly with the world. I don't think the media is in any way equipped to handle this. I don't think our academic institutions are in any way equipped to handle this. And so I do have the skill set. And what I can do is I can help equip those people who are doing the work to speak more directly to the public so that they're not getting this like distorted signal. Mm. And so that is something that I'm really passionate about is in moving into the future, creating kind of like new containers and modalities to get this kind of message out into the world. And I want it to be a lot less about me and my voice and my face and my name. And I want to find collaborators to build with and to, you know, let's do something cool. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, that's so much like <laughs> what my experience has been with psychedelics. You know, the, the retreats that we did in Jamaica, they, you know, I started those, Shortly, shortly before I was arrested for psilocybin here in the states, and then shortly after that, uh, you know, and I kept doing them at, while I was on probation and whatnot, and that kind of <laughs> like had this clout to it. And then Michael Pollan's book came out, and and it became honestly, it became there was a lot of ego in that in that work, even if, even though it was about psychedelics and coming back here and really approaching the mushroom up front from a spiritual standpoint from this is a spiritual this is an energetic tool the psychology is is secondary you know um it's so much more authentic and people embrace it and appreciate it so much more i can already feel that even though it's uh considerably younger than you know the the work that we did in jamaica so yeah you know my first psychedelic experience said to me, it's all energy. It's all about energy. And what you're saying, the energy behind your work, that's what people pick up on. It's not necessarily just the words, you know, and, and it's it's very obvious that you have a sincere respect for this ex- these experiencers and for the stories that are being told, uh, which is, you know, I got I got almost angry last week thinking about, you know, the number of um you know, particularly military professionals, fighter pilots who have been seeing and trying to report on stuff for years and have been gaslit and just, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything that could, or I'm not, I'm not sure what could drive you crazy more than that to be such a highly experienced, skilled professional with the fastest equipment on the earth. You are the individual that we are seeking information from about what's going on up there. And then to be categorically denied your experience when you're trying to be of service to your, you know, your country, your community is, it's atrocious. So what do you think, you know, with, with that in mind, what's your vision of disclosure. I mean, Gary Nolan was on stage a few weeks ago saying 100% they have been here, right? I try, you know, 
I, I despise all mass uh, media and, you know, but, t- but Tucker Carlson had Gary Nolan on his show. Did you see that interview mm-hmm. where, yeah. where he was like, <laughs> like Gary Nolan, Stanford scientist says we need to start asking ourselves whose planet is this anyway? Right. And so we're starting to get this slow trickle of this is the real deal. But I love what you're talking about in this kind of maybe, I don't know if it's a grassroots kind of, um, you know, uh, groundswell of information, but, but what are you, how do you envision that looking uh, for, you know, the average person? They're not going to get it necessarily on Fox or on CNN. They're going to get it from people like yourself and other sources. What's that going to look like? Oh, I, <laughs> in some ways, I wish I knew. I, I, we feel that there is this wave coming. We know that there is this wave coming. I will tell you that among the people that I'm closest to in the community and the people that I respect the most, that this is a constant conversation because, you know, there are people working behind the scenes at the highest levels to bring us disclosure. And there's obviously people fighting against that. But it's inevitable. Like this will, I I believe, I choose to believe, I have no privileged information, but I believe that this is going to happen and it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, And when that happens, it's like, it's not like we're like, woohoo, we disclosured, we did it, you know, like, because then you're going to have this wave of people coming behind. There's already a ton of money flooding into the space. Um, I, I'm hearing from VCs and investors and people who are trying to figure out, I mean, even just it's happening, happening even a little before Gary Nolan gave that talk just a couple of weeks ago, but it's really picking up steam now. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people coming into the space there. I have this prediction that within two to three years, we're going to have more UFO podcasts than we have true crime pro- podcasts. And I am hearing from a lot of podcasters right now who are coming into the space who don't really have a background in any of this, who are, you know, just part of some kind of a podcasting production house. And this is what they're doing. And, you know, I'm willing to work with anybody who's got, um, who's approaching this from the the right place. You know, that's not to like talk badly about any of them. And there's some that I'm, I already have met and like very much, mm-hmm. but, um, but we have to be careful. Like this is going to disclosure is not the end. Disclosure is the beginning of yes. this process in many yes. ways. And so we have to figure out how do we, how do we best support uh, the work that is going to need to be done? And how do we create a center of gravity around the experts who are most equipped to answer these questions um, you know, how do we do that? Cause like you were talking about with the military pilots or, you know, th- that's the experience of experience. I mean, obviously the military pilots, there's an added layer that can make you very outraged there. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. with anybody who's had an experience, you know, like I said, we've been, we've been approaching people's anomalous experiences as you're either crazy or you're lying, which mm-hmm. you're probably crazy for lying. Right. So like, basically you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, it's both. (laughs) Right? Exactly. And so, um, and and that's caused so much damage to so many people. We know that there's nothing more damaging really to a person than that kind of isolation Mm -hmm. and that inability to integrate these most meaningful experiences of their of their lives. And so, in a lot of ways, our mental health field is in no way equipped to handle any of this. And no one working in that field is like, there's a very, there's a very few, very small handful of people who are in any way equipped to do this work. So, you know, I'm really 
the podcast is something that I'm doing now and that I'm going to do for as long as I feel like I'm supposed to be doing it, but I'm already, I'm going to be meeting with a group of people, um, in a couple of weeks to do kind of a weekend long retreat where we're just going to be starting to like whiteboard this stuff out with people from all different kind of backgrounds who are wanting to attack this and just figure out like, okay, how do we start gathering the tools and the resources and the expertise yes. to answer this? And, and it's, it's, it's going to be a bottomless well of need in yes. terms of what's going to need to happen at the insti- from the institutional level all the way down to the personal level. Uh, I'm so glad you have that broad perspective. And I, I personally think that psychedelics are going to have, will have a place in that. You know, I agree. They, they, what, what more readily can help you get comfortable with the uncomfortable or with the strange? You know, have you ever smoked DMT? No, I would love to. Somebody yeah, call me. you would love, you would love to. <laughs> <laughs> we'll meet up sometime. <laughs> I <Yes>. know a guy. <laughs> I want to meet the mechanical elves, damn it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I about a month ago, I told my wife, I was like, I, I kind of feel like I should start like a, um, like I want to call it like some kind of like, um, not like a like the county clerk for, UFOs, you know, like I feel like there needs to be a physical place where people who have these experiences who need, you know, there needs to be a resource for everyday people who are having these encounters to, I don't know what you do with it. Like you speak in terms of mental health, which that, you know, of course is a a, a dovetails perfectly with psychedelics. And um, that seems probably like one of the most immediate issues that will need to be addressed you know i mean the 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 stories of abductees and uh some of the stuff that's happened there is just like my heart goes out to those people and uh, at the same time for years i was one of those you know that must be crazy talk it's always the person in the trailer and then you know you dig into this stuff and you you see that there is a lot that cannot be explained that is documented that we cannot explain. And these people deserve uh, the dignity and the respect to be heard and uh, just to have their place. And so, yeah, it's going to be so interesting how this unfolds. And it's, it's also, again, similar to psychedelics. People kind of like, Oh, Oregon legalized psilocybin where we've arrived. No, that's just the beginning. There's so much more to do with that. We're not prepared actually for the legalization of psilocybin. Oh, of course not. And people aren't aren't ready. It's just because it can do these things for people. Like if you use it in a certain way, it's not, it can just be dangerous and not helpful, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I think anybody, listen, I'm from Ohio. Plenty of us have blacked out in a cornfield <laughs> on mushrooms and moonshine and, you know, and, well, and, and, you know, and no what one's are, having a deep experience there. S- you know? Similar, similar. That brings up a really interesting cross point here in terms of the UFO. Like you hear these reports and Nolan talks about these individuals who have been, um, you know, harmed from trying to touch objects or whatnot. So, you know, an, a, an unintentional or an irresponsible engagement with this also uh, seems to be problematic. And I, I have heard very few people discuss the possibility of you know, negative influence from these non-human intelligences, but I suppose that that is a possibility as well. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and I, I think that's a fantastic point, is that contact work, which in a lot of ways, 
psilocybin is a contact modality. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. There's dangers to it. I don't want to like scare people off from it, you know, but, and there's a lot that you can do in terms of your own kind of spiritual and energetic hygiene that can prepare you for these things. It can help you connect with the kind of, you know, forces and influences and experiences that you want to have and kind of stave off those other ones. But ultimately, the vast majority of contactees say that their experience was overall positive, even if the experience itself was negative. Mm -hmm. However, you cannot ignore the very significant slice of that pie that says this has been nothing but hell Mm -hmm. and that there are dark entities out there and that people have very bad, terrifying, horrible, confusing experiences that they can't get away from, you know, like I, I think of, um, Whitley Strieber who wrote communion, one of the most famous contactees in the world. And, you know, his experience of this has been, he has been bedeviled by this. Not, you know what I mean? He's, Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's the experience of a lot of people. And so we can't ignore that. And so you're right. I mean, just unleashing these sort of like really potent contact modalities out into the world and being like, have fun, folks. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not great. Not a great approach. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that you have seen uh, the moment of contact, James Fox. Yes. yes. Incredible, incredible, incredible stuff out there. Uh, I, I would love if, you know, it's up to you. You don't have to comment to this, but I have... Mm-hmm long been wanting to just kind of get some feedback from someone who is really deep in this culture. Um, the thoughts around Stephen Greer's work. Oh yeah. I'm happy to talk about Stephen Greer. I, I have a very nuanced view on Stephen Greer and, and I think that we should not Mm -hmm. just on Stephen Greer, but kind of across the field. Mm -hmm. There's a really ugly strain in our culture right now where just like if anyone's ever done anything wrong, that anything they've ever done is now irrelevant right. and toxic and radioactive. And I, mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. I think people in life is much more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that in general, in like smaller communities, whether it be the UFO community or the psychedelic community, or like I've moved in a lot of kind of smaller fringe communities in my day, um, there's we seem to submit our our leaders to these kind of like impossible to pass purity Mm -hmm. tests because we're so, when you're in these like smaller fringier communities where you constantly feel like your credibility is being questioned, you kind of expect this level of perfection from your leaders that like no one can actually achieve. Like no one's perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that I do question most of what Stephen Greer has done over the last several years. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not someone that I've, follow particularly closely now or that I look to for he's he's just not one of my trusted sources but that doesn't mean that that his work is entirely useless I will say what you cannot deny about Stephen Greer is that what we're trying to do now he was trying to do back in 1999 and you right. know he did get with the disclosure pro- the disclosure project he did get in front of congress and he did mm-hmm. get people paying attention to this and there's a lot of evidence that he was making progress that 911 kind of just shut down because suddenly mm-hmm. it was like all about that um mm-hmm. and so i think that's unfortunate and i think we also have to recognize that a lot of people have come to this subject through stephen greer's work he's done some documentaries and work and stuff like that that have really you know m- 
in, brought about a curiosity in people about this. And he's also been a real champion of sort of the uh, heist and contact modality stuff, all the human initiated contact protocols. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there is something to those. Those are real. And Mm -hmm. um, so he's, he's made enormous, stunning contributions to the space. I think that there is something that can happen to people when they get so close and then they get thwarted or when they get so close and then suddenly they're delegitimized. And I don't want to name names, but I've seen it happen to a lot of other people in the community where it seems like they start off on the right track. And at some point, ego or money or something gets in the way and it kind of like derails where they were headed. And and I kind of, I will say, I kind of see, that's my, I don't know Stephen Greer, but like, that's my perception of his work is that over the last decade or so, it's become progressively more ego driven. And it's not so much about disclosure. It's about like disclosure must come from Stephen Greer or it is not legitimate. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's yeah. kind of why yeah. I'm less of a fan, but yeah. Yeah. I, 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 thanks for talking about that because I, I, I think that this is an important topic here actually because he you know he is one of the early movers he has done so much to contribute he brings up some incredible points um and then he'll just like kind of like shit talk gary nolan he's a government shield and you know a lot of the uh lou elizondo and you know for what it's worth i mean surely there's disinformation out there has to be you know that's that's been part of the program for a very long time um but yeah, I've just been, I don't know. I just kind of, I get such a, a mixed vibe off of him. It's like, I feel like he is really passionate and he has been in it for so long. And so part of me wonders, is he like, is he so far ahead of the curve, you know, especially like, you know, with this focus on, um, um, you know, unlimited energy and all that kind of stuff. It's like, is he just so far ahead of the curve because he's been in it so long? But where I get hung up is in his inability to recognize, seemingly recognize the contributions of, of others. So, you know, I respect his work um, and, and everybody, I guess, you know, to equal extent to a certain degree. I mean, Jacques Vallée is kind of like, he's kind of like the litmus test, right. For a UFO researcher. So um, at least in my, in my regard, um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I feel like in again psychedelics and really everything, but psychedelics and ufology because these are so fringy because the people who have been studying them for so long, like myself, are not you know quote trained professionals. I'm just some barefoot Kentucky boy who's ate a bunch of mushrooms, you know. And so I think there's a lot of value in and like you're saying, particularly seeing the whole picture of the person. You don't have to buy everything that they're selling, right? Yeah. And I think, I think that there's, as much as there's the tendency to submit people to these purity tests, there's also the tendency to like make heroes out of people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, you know, cause I, I also hold a very nuanced view on Lou Elizondo, you know, mm-hmm. like I, mm-hmm. I value his work and his contribution. I judge him by his output, which has been significant based on that output. I regard him to be like a true patriot in like the truest form of the word as in someone who wants to serve his country and mm-hmm. do the best thing for his fellow countrymen. At the same time, you can't deny that this dude is like counter Intel and has been for mm-hmm. decades. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't, 
you, if you forget that, if you just like choose to forget that part and choose mm-hmm. to forget all of the history that the UFO community has with the intelligence community in terms of different disinformation and all of these things, you know, that's dangerous as well. And so I continue to be inspired by what he's doing and to be really, you know, if it wasn't for Lou Elizondo, I don't know if I would be in this. Like he was one mm-hmm. of the early people that got me mm-hmm. into it. Um but I think you have to be careful of making anyone a hero because the other thing that happens, and I see this on UFO Twitter all the time, is that then Lou Elizondo does something or says something that doesn't align with people's like perfect vision of this like saint that they have mm-hmm. created, this like saint of UFOs that they've created in their head. Like this is just a guy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's just a man like everyone else. And then, and then suddenly they see that he's done something or said something that they don't like, and now all of a sudden the whole thing comes toppling down. Like Mm -hmm. not just their view of Lou Elizondo, but they're like, well, all of this is a lie. And it's just like, you've lost objectivity. The mistake you made was turning him into this like hero. God, that's so true. I I tell, I have tried to communicate that to people in our, our church community. And and also at the retreats, you know, when I was running those, I would tell people like kick the pedestal out from underneath of me now. Cause I'm a fuck up like everybody else here. Why do you think I take so many mushrooms? Like I'm trying to fix myself, right? Right. <laughs> uh, so I think I think that is a very very important uh, uh, awareness to have within us. So uh, just a couple more questions here. Following that up, where would you recommend, aside from your excellent podcast, where would you recommend uh, those who are curious around this information go for? Mm, I hesitate to say the most accurate, but maybe some of the most trustworthy or, you know, what are the best sources of information uh, that you have for around this subject? Absolutely. Well, I'll quickly shamelessly plug my podcast because I did create <laughs> it so that if, if you have no background in UFOs at all, you can start at episode one and get up to speed. And I take very seriously that I am not pushing any kind of an agenda. I'm not trying to get anyone to believe anything in particular. I'm not even trying to get you to believe in UFOs. I'm really just sort of creating the landscape, showing people the possibilities. And so, you know, I I take a lot of pride in that. I let Um, me also say to my listeners that there have been times when I'm listening to your podcast, I'm like, does she believe in UFOs or not? Is she just doing this because she's interested? Like, I I can't always tell, you know, and I, I love that. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Because I do. I do believe in them. But I, I really try. <laughs> I take very seriously my role. I don't think it's my job to tell anybody what to believe. And I, mm-hmm. I believe that very strongly. And I think that when people are in that dismantling phase where they realize that they, like the reality isn't what they thought it was, that they're in a really vulnerable place. And, like, anybody can kind of just, like, jump in with an answer And so I try to both like equip people against that and also not do that to them. So I follow, I I do that. I I try to follow that same exact protocol when I'm working with the mushroom space. Your world has been dissolved before you. Do not be informed by me about the world as it reforms you. Yes. Let's talk. Let's talk afterwards. <laughs> yeah, all right. Exactly. Go ahead. More sources. More sources. <laughs> More sources. And in terms of what I recommend, like books and like that got me into it, things that I read, the book I recommend the most is American Cosmic by mm-hmm. Diana Walsh Basalka. She is a hero of mine and somebody I've, that I've gotten to know just a little bit. And and I I think the world of her. Um, also, that book will turn your world upside down. It does not say what you think it says in there. And um, and go into it knowing that the character. There's two characters in that book. I say characters. It's a. It's a not. It's a nonfiction. But there's two people in that book who are under 
pseudonyms. And so one of them is Tyler and one of them is James. And James is Gary Nolan. And if you read that book, knowing that James is Gary Nolan and he's admitted this publicly, um, you will read that book very differently. Yeah, um, she is amazing. Yeah. She is everything. Um, she, let's see. And then also Ross Coltheart's book, In Plain Sight, if you just want like a straight up journalistic approach that's just like, just the facts, ma'am, that's going to tell you what what evidence there is that this has been covered up basically by our government and that this has been going on for a long time. Um, he is a fantastic award-winning journalist who did that book. And then obviously you've got to go back to Jacques Vallée. You've got to read um, Passport to Magonia in particular, but then also all of his work. Uh, John Keel, who wrote The Mothman Prophecies, it's probably what people are most familiar mm -hmm. with, but he he is one of my absolute favorites and he's written several other books that were absolutely phenomenal. And then John Mack, who was the Harvard psychiatrist who worked directly with experiencers and took them very, very seriously. Um, I think those are, if you start with those, you're just, you know, yeah, that's a good starting your, point. Hold yeah. on to your hat. <laughs> Get ready to have your world blown apart. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> take it one bite at a time because it's a lot. But yeah. if you read those, you'll see the world differently. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, Man, this, this has been such a wonderful conversation. And I feel like, especially what you just said about people having their worldview dissolved around them and not wanting to contribute to the restructuring, I feel I feel such an alliance with that. That is such an important and 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 I feel like I feel like we're on the cusp of of that happening big time. I feel yeah. like we are we are on the cusp of you know, society at large, not only through disclosure and not only through the psychedelic movement, but that we're seeing that our media is constructed before our eyes to force a narrative that has been, you know, long played out, uh, that war itself is an industry that is being you know, perpetuated in part through media, but through these government coalitions. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot, the rug is, is slowly getting pulled out from underneath of us. And at a certain point, I feel like we're going to reach a critical mass and it's going to be a whole new world. And the world is going to need people like yourself, uh, to help inform them, not, not to, form their worldview, but to provide unbiased information that just let, allows you to come more so to your own conclusions. Obviously, we're always influenced at all times by all this information around us, but you do a really, really good job of presenting it unbiased uh, and, and just it's beautifully written. And I really, really love your work. Alex, I know you're listening to this, buddy. Alex is a, uh, a, a friend of mine here locally. And I was like, I messaged him. I was like, dude, this new, this podcast, I'd, I'd like binge like five or seven episodes of yours. Like you got to check out this new UFO podcast. And he's like, Oh man, I'm already listening to it. I'm listening to it right now. It's great. I'm like, yeah, I know. So he's gonna be super excited to hear. You oh, know, awesome. That's, that's amazing. Worth, I love yeah. that. And yeah. thank you. And I, and thank you for the work that you do. Like, I feel like we're working in different spaces, but you know, I feel like we're both colleagues in this sort of just trying to be of service of, to people through what's coming. And I, I appreciate I appreciate meeting people like you. Yeah, likewise. All right. So what has or what does Silas Sabin say to you, Callie, before we go? <sighs> 
I think it says to me that I already am everything that I have wanted and that all of my favorite things and most wild, excitable instincts are perfect and that they are divinely sent and that they are the path. And so. Uh, yes, they are the path. I love that. I love that. I love that. All right. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's been a real pleasure. I look forward to hearing you around. Absolutely. Thanks, Eric. 